Welcome to Spiritual Coach. I'm the host with the most repping the Holy Ghost, Brandon Tribble. I appreciate you stopping by. Now let's get to work on them spiritual muscles. Hello and welcome back to Spiritual Coach. Today we're talking about why going to church is essential. I'm going to play for you a quick audio clip. I want you to listen to what this guy has to say. I do believe that communal return to the source of the community's ethics is actually a necessary thing. Because there's also something about going where a bunch of other people are to reaffirm your commitment to, to the good that you're all, all aiming at that's, that's got some power in it. And I don't think that that's something that we should forego. I think it's dangerous. I mean, look, even if you're cynical about church, it's certainly the case that communal church going in the 1950s, say, provided the average person with at least an hour a week where they were contemplating, no matter how poorly, the purpose of ethics in life and, and the idea of a higher purpose and a higher meaning in life. And you got to think that spending an hour a week thinking about that is better than never doing it at all. I don't know how to that tradition can be revivified in a meaningful way. But I think it's, I really do think it's a catastrophe that we've lost it because we don't have a center, an ethical center that holds our community together. And the consequence of that is that we're fragmenting quite bad. All right, having heard that, I want you to acknowledge that this guy is actually an atheist and he is against Christianity but he also recognizes that there is a need for people to go to church. Now, isn't that crazy? What an oxymoron. He sees the cultural benefits of people gathering together and attending uh, a place at least once a week to discuss and think about morality and morals. Whereas if you didn't go to church, you wouldn't get that. We're going to listen to another man at the end of this study and see what he has to say about it as well. But first, we're going to go through the study. It's going to be quite lengthy, but please stick around. This is very essential, and I think we'll get a lot of good out of this. First, let's uh, think about some general reasons why we should go to church. Accountability, a community of believers, a place where we're able to use our gifts that God gives us through the Holy Spirit, a place where we are able to receive from others uh, the gifts that God has placed in them. Uh, not to mention God has called us to be a part of the body. Uh, God set up church order and structure with the intention that we would be gathering together. It's a place of corporate praise, prayer, and service to not only serve God, but also serve others. And we're going to kind of discuss each of these in a little bit more detail. But first, what is your excuse? Why don't you want to gather with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Why are you forsaking that gathering? Uh, I once believed it was okay to not go to church because I would praise God at home, study at home, pray at home, listen to sermons at home. But I was neglecting the gifts God placed in me to be used in a body of believers. 
I was neglecting the accountability that you get from being a part of a group of people. I neglected being a part of the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. I neglected the encouragement and fellowship you get and give for being a part of the local church. I also made myself an easier target for the devil, being a lone sheep wandering about by myself. You know, God set it up for us to assemble for a reason. God organized the structure of it for a reason. God designed the body for us uh, to be unified and united together. I've seen people come to church barely able to breathe in crutches or walking canes in wheelchairs where the church was flooded and people sick. People used to go to church where there was no AC. I've heard of people walking for miles to get to church. People have even gone to church at the risk of their own lives. And on the other hand, I've also heard of people, they can't come because they had to do their laundry, because they have a headache, because they didn't feel like it, because there's hypocrites up there, because they want to sleep in, excuse after excuse. It's strange how we can jump through hoops to do the things we really want to do, but we make a thousand excuses to miss church. I bet if I said I'd give people $100,000, they would find a way to make it to church. They would fight past everything to make it. How bad do you really want it is the question. How bad do you really want to be there? How bad do you want to be in God's presence? What will it take to get you to want to go to church? Maybe if we go through some of these scriptures, you might say, hmm, there's some validity to this, and there is some value to it as well. Let's look at Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let's think about one another. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we see the day of Jesus' return approaching, we need to come together as a body of believers all the more, not making excuses, not being lone sheep, but being the body of Christ, the church. Amen? We need to be able to first Consider one another. Think about one another. How can I stir up my brother in love and good works? Maybe you feel like you're not getting much from your church, but what can you give? Sadly, in our modern American church, we all think about what we can get out of going to church when we should really be thinking about what can I give while I'm there? What service can I provide? What gift can I offer to others? Instead of thinking about yourself the whole time, you need to be thinking about others. Here's another one to consider. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-3 Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if, 
as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now I want you to think about the falling away, the people leaving God, the people leaving the church. I want you to think about these statistics. The American church attendance hits a historic low from the Gallup polls. It says that church membership was around 73% in 1937. And for the first time in 80 years, it is down to 47% as of 2020. And these numbers keep declining, folks. And it's not just because of the coronavirus. Because people still go do all their other favorite things. They still go to restaurants, still go shopping, still go to sporting events. But yet they still use the coronavirus excuse to not go to church. At the end of the day, it's a heart matter. What do you really want to do? Do you want to miss church and use any excuse under the sun? Or do you want to go because you want to be close to God and His people? It comes down to what you really want in life. And do you really want to go to church? Or is the coronavirus just another excuse? But let's look at some good reasons why we should be in church. God calls us to be the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So he tells us right there, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of us for the profit of everybody. And then as we skip down to verses 14 through 30, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? As we know that it really is. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Meaning each person or each body part has an important function. Nobody could say, I don't need you or I don't need this. And we see that in this next scripture. But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. On our unrepresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having great, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or separation in the body or division, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, 
first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? He's basically meaning we all have a part to play in this. We all are given something that helps edify the body. Not anybody can say, I don't need you, I don't need you, I don't need you. We all need each other. And if one of our members is not there, the whole of the body suffers, even if it's only a small degree. I bet you if you were to lose any body part right now, you would be lacking in some area, whether if it was a facial feature or uh, an active body part that you need, a hand or a leg, you would see and miss those body parts that you no longer had. And it would interfere with your body's working. As well as the church body, it interferes with the effectiveness when one of the members are no longer there or whenever they stop coming for whatever reason. You decide, oh, well, I'm going to miss Sunday morning. That's okay. No problem. And you don't have a legitimate reason. You're actually interfering with the effectiveness of the working of the body. Whether you think you're not a big role, whether you don't think you don't have that big of a part to play or not, every single body part that's missing affects the whole body in some kind of way. So instead of thinking, oh, well, I'm not that important, you should think, oh, I need to be there. I need to be there to help the body function. Because every single body part that's there helps the body function properly. Listen to this next one, Ephesians 4, 2 through 4. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your call. Every one of us has a calling in the Lord. We're all called to serve the body, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, for us to be in peace with one another and to bear with one another in love. Amen. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the edifying or building up of the body. Each of us has been appointed some kind of office in the Lord, whether you're an apostle or a prophet, an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher, all of us have been given this for the equipping of the saints for the equipping of the saints and the work of the ministry, the work and the service of God. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share 
causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. For every joint supplies, every single body part supplies to the whole. We're all knit together and joined together for the help and benefit of the whole body. We're effective in our working when every part does its share. When you say, oh, I don't feel like going, or I don't want to be there, or I'm not going to go to church, you're not doing your share. And when you do this in an extended, prolonged period of time, man, talk about neglecting the gift that was put in you. You're not helping the whole body to grow. Let's look at Acts 14, 27. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. When we gather together as the church, God opens the door for the faith of others. When we gather together, think, think about this. If we all decided, you know what? I agree with you. You know, whatever your reason is, you don't want to go to church, I agree with you. We all don't need to do that anymore. Let's all collectively stop going to church and do our own thing and just serve God by ourselves and pray by ourselves and praise by ourselves or whatever it is and stop doing this whole church thing. We neglect the gifts that are in us, but it also hinders the gospel. It hinders the spreading and it doesn't open the door of faith to the unbelievers. Here's another reason why we should go. God set up the structure and order in the church. He set that up. James 2, 1 through 4. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man you stand there or sit here at my footstool I want you to recognize here it is automatically intended that we should be assembling together because he says if somebody comes in your assembly meaning we got to be assembled for this to even happen right he's giving us uh, an order here not to show partiality to the rich man, but to treat each other and everybody alike. Here's more of this proof. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, and then also verse 23. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. When we're speaking in tongues, we're doing it to the edification of the church. When we're prophesying, we're doing it for the edification of the church. Then verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Basically, he's giving us some order here, some structure. Don't everybody be speaking in tongues. Y'all quit that. Y'all don't need to be doing that because somebody's going to come and say, Y'all are crazy. You're out of your mind. No, if you're going to speak in a tongue, you need to wait for somebody else to interpret. That's what the Bible says. But yet there are many churches that are not doing this in the right order. Nevertheless, God gives us this order and structure for a reason. Because he intends that the whole church would be coming together. This is an intended thing. 
And for time's sake, I want you to go do your own study on this, but go look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, and then also Titus 1, 5 through 9, and it gives us the qualifications for pastors or whatever you want to call it, overseers and deacons, uh, for the structure of the church. He gives us this because he's intending on us to do this. God didn't go to such great lengths at describing how things should be conducted in the church with the leaders and how they are elected and how you are to act in the church for us to just stay home and do our own thing. It was intended to be that way, that we should come to church and that we would have this structure and order in place. If you physically cannot make it to church, that's one thing. But if you are purposefully not going, that's a whole other issue. That's a heart matter. What, what, what is wrong with you? Why are you not doing this? Why are you not obeying God's commands? He intends on us going to church, so why are you staying home? I know there's a lot of reasons and excuses that we come up with, but instead of looking at the excuses, how about we look at the reasons why we should go? And here's another one. Accountability. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they may ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So accountability, we got to have accountability. If you're off by yourself doing your own thing, well then you can't ever be corrected, can't ever be rebuked, can you? And maybe that's why some of you don't want to go to church, because you don't like that accountability. You don't like to be held accountable. You don't like to be rebuked. You don't like to be corrected. But the Bible gives us this instruction over and over and over that we should do this. And I'm going to come into these scriptures in a second. Colossians 6, 1-3 Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. God calls us to restore one another. Sometimes the devil tricks us and trips us up and gets us caught up in a trespass. But he wants each of us, as true followers of Christ, to restore our fallen brethren. Ephesians 5.11 And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. One of the best ways to help hold each other accountable is exposing any darkness in us to one another. Hey, brother, I see something that's going on and you shouldn't be doing that, and we should be exposing this to one another. James 5.16 Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We need to confess to one another Hey, man, I've been doing this and this is wrong. I'm sorry I shouldn't have been doing that. Help hold me accountable. 
And then also that we can pray for one another. Man, my brother, he's been messing up. I'm going to pray for him that he can be restored. And it says that you may be healed. It's possible that you can be uh, delivered from this. Proverbs 27 verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Iron sharpens iron. We help refine one another and sharpen one another. We might be slipping or we might have become dull in the Lord. But as we uh, stir each other up unto good works, God helps us. Amen. God will help sharpen us. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. We need to be able to convince one another, rebuke one another, exhort one another with long-suffering and teaching. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Who are we trying to correct? Who are we trying to reprove? Each other. And we're using scripture to do so. Look, brother, you're doing this that's wrong. Here's the scripture. Now, let's do what's right. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Exhort one another and, and warn those who are unruly. Hey, quit doing that. Stop doing that. Quit sinning. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. How do you exhort one another daily while it's called today? How do you do that today? Well, you got to be gathered together, folks. you got to be in association with other believers so that you can exhort one another. And you may feel like you're the best Christian out there and don't need anybody else. Well, maybe they need you. Maybe they need help from you to be exhorted, okay? But the thing is, is the devil makes you think you're so good and you stay by yourself. Oh, I'm so better than those uh, judgmental hypocrites up there. But then you get hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You become puffed up with pride and think you don't need anybody else. And then the devil's got you right where he wants you. Right in his clutches. You have fallen into the trap. Stay away from the other brothers. You don't need anybody but yourself. And then you are easy peasy pickings for the lions seeking whom they may devour. And you're an easy target sitting all by yourself. Listen to this reason why we should go. A place where we can be faithful. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen. When we are faithful in going to church, God may see that faithfulness and say, you know what, I'm going to set them up over something else to, to cover for me in my kingdom. I'm going to get them to rule over this area in, in service to me because they were faithful in attending church. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Stewards, stewards over the things of God, that one be found faithful. We need to be faithful with the things God entrusts to us. That whatever it is that we uphold our end of the bargain, that we do what God has called us to do. Here's another reason we should go. A place for us to be together to help serve God and others. <clears throat> Acts 2, 
through 47. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So when we all come together and when we stand in one accord with each other and when we go to the place of worship, the house of God, God will cause the church to be added to people who are saved and it takes for us to want to be there it takes for us to want to be gathered together for this to take place Ecclesiastes 4 9 through 12 two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor for if they fall one will lift up his companion but woe to him who is alone when he falls for he has no one to help him up Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's better when we have more of us together. We're able to fight off the wicked one easier. Matthew 18, 19-20 Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Here we go. Another place where it says two or three. A cord of three is not easily broken. And he's saying where three or two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. God's with us. Hey, we're having church. Let's get it together, folks. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How can you bear one another's burdens if you're all by yourself? <laughs> when we come together and we say, Hey, man, I'm dealing with this problem or I'm struggling with this sin. We can bear one another's burdens. Hey, man, I'm going to be praying for you, brother. Hey, here's some advice. Here, follow this. You know, here's some scripture. We can help edify and build each other up. John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know that we're disciples of Christ if we love one another. Here's another reason that we should go to church. For the sake of our children and their education and learning in the Lord, and then also for our marriages. If we are married, this is a good reason that we should go. Even if you don't believe in regular attendance, do it for your children. Church is a great place for them to learn about moral, ethical behavior and to receive a solid foundation that the Bible says that when they get older, there is a high likelihood that they won't depart from it, and that we should train up our children in the admonition of the Lord. It can also be a place for them to discover their gifts and talents and learn about the value of community at a young age. And then also, uh, this, these statistics show that couples who attend church together are 35% less likely to divorce than couples who don't. Man, this sounds like a good reason for us to go to church right there for our kids and then also for our marriages. Here's another good reason. It was Jesus' custom or common practice for him to go to church. Luke 4.16 So he came to Nazareth, Jesus did, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. 
it was his custom, his common practice to go to the synagogue or his church and read. He was there, he was there gathering with the people and he was there reading God's word. And I bet you he was there giving advice, encouraging, helping. I bet you even probably healed some folks. You know, I'm, he was there in the midst helping people. Now, I think we should take after Jesus' example and go as our custom to church. Amen. James 5, 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if anyone has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. we got to be gathered together. If we're sick, we can call on the elders of the church or our pastor and say, Hey, I'm sick. Please pray over me. Anoint me with oil. But if we're staying at home all the time, how is this going to happen? We need to be able to confess our trespasses to one another and pray for one another. How can we do this if we're always at home? Here's our final point. Where would our talents and gifts be used if we didn't go to church? 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to accept. For the edification and the building up of the church, we use our gifts and we help the whole church to excel, to do even better when we are there. Finally, in conclusion, 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Meaning, the multiple bodies of believers gathered together, the congregations. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Meaning, He didn't set it up for us to be not gathered. He set it up for us to be assembled. We're not meant to be lone wolves or lone sheep. We're meant to be a sheep or a herd animal who's gathered together in a congregation. If you aren't a part of one, rectify that mistake if at all possible. If you're not a part of a congregation or a body of believers, try to fix it. And finally, this scripture, Proverbs 18.1, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. If you seek to isolate yourself from God's people, you're actually seeking your own desire and you rage against wise judgment. You are not wise. When you are not going to church, you are not wise. Unless it's for a legitimate reason, you, you just really cannot go. But if you keep making excuse after excuse, you are not wise. And you're actually raging against wise judgment when you seek to isolate yourself from God's people. Don't be a lone wolf Christian anymore. Be a herd. Go be with God's people. Go to church. And look at these reasons that we've presented today. And finally, I want to share with you one man who made it his life's mission to serve God. I want you to listen to these words of Billy Graham and contemplate this teaching today and see how you can build up your spiritual relationship with the Lord. Thank you and God bless you. Stay tuned in the next one. See you later. There must be discipline. 
And then next in the Christian life, there is the church. You've heard of Robinson Crusoe Christians, haven't you? Trying to live solitary Christian lives, I tell you the Bible doesn't know anything about it. The Christian fellowship is not optional, it's essential, it's commanded. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The Bible teaches that the church is like a vine with its many branches. It's like living stones built together, members of the body of Christ all knit together. Now the church may have its local churches. Well, you say, I'm a member of the great universal church, but I'm not a member of any local church or assembly. That's like saying, well, I'm in the Navy, but I'm not going to go to any ship. Like the United Nations, I was over at the United Nations on Monday and had a wonderful talk with Mr. Hammershield. And I looked out of the window and saw those flags of the United Nations, and I said, here's one organization, but it has its many local constituencies all over the world in the form of nations and states. Here, we have the great church, the body of Christ, but it has its local branches all over. And one may be called Lutheran, one may be Baptist, one may be Presbyterian, whatever the name may be. If it's a place where Christ is preached, if it's a place where Christ is exalted, we are to go there and give it everything we have in the work of the church. The church is to worship together. It's a place where we give our tithes and offerings to the work of the Lord. I hope you'll go to church tomorrow. This is Saturday night. Let's all of us be in the Lord's place of worship tomorrow. All across America, let's go to church. God has commanded it. And I want to tell you, you cannot live a victorious Christian life and have the peace and the joy in your heart without faithfulness in the church. Stand with your church. Oh, there's some people that say, well, I'm looking for a perfect church. Then you'll never find it. Because if you joined it, if you found a perfect church and you joined it, it would be imperfect. You'll never find a perfect church. I've traveled all over the world and I've seen hundreds of different types of churches and I've never seen a perfect one yet. And this side of glory, there never will be. Jesus had a little band of men with him. 12 of them. It was imperfect. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. When the chips were down at the cross, the rest of them forsook him. There is no such thing as a perfect body on earth. Get into the church and get to work for Christ.